Thank you for listening to audio from Community Bible Church's college ministry. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Joy and Unity, a study of Philippians. Spirit, to open up our eyes to who you are. We have been blinded, Lord, by the world, by our flesh, by attacks from the evil one. We have been blinded from seeing you as you are, and tonight we want to see. God, I, I want to see you tonight, God. Please, would you come and would you move among us? Would you come and would you engage with our hearts? <coughs> I pray that you would just wow us. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would move. Do what you do. Lord, we love you. Um, I am, I'm a pretty stupid man, and I'm a very, very sinful man. And I have nothing to say that's of any value if it's not through the work of your Holy Spirit. And so I ask God that your Holy Spirit would speak to your people. That um, like when little Simba roars, that Mufasa would be roaring behind him. That's what I want to happen. Um, So please speak to your people because you love them so they might worship you, so that I might worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all never heard Simba in a prayer. I know that. What's up, y'all? I'm William. If I hadn't met you yet, um, I hope to meet you soon. Um, I'm also um, using the iPad for the first time tonight. So if that goes bad, forgive me. Already having some trouble. Okay. Password. Good. All right. I'm very excited to talk to you guys tonight, and I have good, good, good news to tell you, Um, and so I hope this lands on you as good news. I hope your hearts are encouraged tonight. I hope if there's some of you here tonight and you don't know what Mal's talking about yet, there's that line in that song that we just sang, forever we are welcomed home. If you're you're not a Christian, I want you to be welcomed home tonight, because there's nothing like it. It's what you were made for. And I just want y'all to know the joy that God gives. So, if I asked you guys, what is, what's up, Fredo? What is the number one thing that people in the world are pursuing? Especially people in the West. What is the thing that people are chasing after? Happiness. Come on, Ezra. I like that. Happiness. Okay. (laughs) Here's what I would say. I would say they call it happiness, but they're after satisfaction. They're after something that will last. Right? Wouldn't, Wouldn't you say? I mean, pretty much everybody, everywhere you look, that's what they're looking for. It's like why we love good meals. It's why we love good dates. That's why we love... Um, a lot of the relationships that we're in. It's why some of us sacrifice really hard to work hard so that we might be satisfied with a good grade or with being the best in our class or with getting a good internship. We are pursuing satisfaction. We sacrifice for satisfaction. We want satisfaction at all costs. So some of us do it with our figure, right? You slave over what you eat or don't eat because you think satisfaction will come in a certain body type. Or you slave over, you know, the job that you're going to have or how much money you're going to make. You're looking to all these different things for satisfaction. So what we see when we look around at people, it's what we see when we honestly engage with our own heart, right? We see um, a pursuit of satisfaction. Um, I would say that it's probably the aim of almost every advertisement. And I would also say uh, that it's written into our Constitution. So it's something that we do well. We pursue happiness as, as we're said. Um, now, here's the good news. Kind of. 
by experience, most of us know that these different things that promise satisfaction don't deliver. Right? Can we agree on that? Most of these things that we've looked for satisfaction in don't deliver. Now, there's certain things that the culture really puts up there as things that will deliver. Right? Like fame and wealth and success and power and sex. But really, just the next People magazine that comes out, just read through it and you'll find that that doesn't deliver. Because a lot of those people who have all those things aren't satisfied. So, all this to say, our culture, you, me, we're on a relentless pursuit for satisfaction. But what if I told you that I could guarantee you that there is a lifestyle that would bring you the satisfaction that you're looking for? What if I told you that there was a real life that could deliver, that, that promised real, genuine, lasting joy? That's what we're going to see tonight in the book of Philippians. I'm pumped about that. So Philippians 1, you guys, the Word of God, please never get bored with the Word of God. As soon as you start to see your heart get bored with the Word of God, repent. It's stupid. It's you. It's not God. Okay? This is God's revelation to us. Okay? It's me. I don't mean to say that accusingly. Sometimes I get bored with the Word of God. I have to repent. I don't mean, for those of you who don't know me yet, I get excited. Um, the Word of God. God Almighty the God who made everything you like has revealed himself through this word. He has lots to say to us through it. I'm very excited to get into it. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. And here's what we're going to see, y'all. We're going to see this life, lifestyle of satisfaction demonstrated by Paul. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five reasons why this life delivers. And then we'll talk about responding at the very end. Okay? So that's where we're going. <coughs> the word of God. Praise God we have the Word of God, you guys. There's two billion people on planet Earth. Two billion people on planet Earth who don't have the Word of God. Two billion people on planet Earth who don't have the Word of God. Um, we have tons of Bibles. It's grace. Here we go. Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. In my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Okay, so biggie on the eye chart. Okay, what Paul is saying is this. He is pumped. He is rejoicing. This whole letter is about joy. It's about rejoicing. Matt made that clear last week. And Paul right now is rejoicing. And the reason that he's rejoicing is because the gospel is advancing through his life. So five different times in six verses, there's an allusion to this reality that the gospel is advancing, that Christ is being proclaimed, that Christ is being preached. And that is what is giving Paul so much joy. Now, if you guys will stay with me here, what you will see here in the biblical text is just going to fascinate you. Because what he says in verse 12 is this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So somehow, something that happened to Paul, or something that has been happening to Paul, is advancing the gospel. And for that, Paul is just, he's joyful. He is deeply contented. He is satisfied. Okay, now, quick pause. Pause on Philippians. When you are reading the Bible, okay, when you open... Open up the Bible in the morning with your cup of coffee, right? Great moment. I hope you guys enjoy that moment every day. And you come across, you open up to a passage. A couple things you need to do. You, need, you want to be a detective, right? You're observing what the biblical text has to say. God wants to speak to you through his word, okay? And one of the things you need to look for is key terms. So if there's a term that the Bible uses that you don't fully grasp or understand, look it up. Because it might... 
make the whole passage explode. Okay, so we need to do that with the term in verse 12. But there's the other thing, another thing we need to do when we, we come to the biblical text. We've got to ask questions of it. We've got to probe it. So here's two questions we've got to ask right away in verse 12. One is this. If advancing the gospel is what's giving Paul so much joy, I mean unexplainable joy, we've got to ask, what is the gospel? What is it? So that's one question we've got to ask. And then the second thing we've got to ask is, what is happening to him that's causing the gospel to advance? So, so let's take those two one at a time. Um, you couldn't ask me a more fun question than what is the gospel. Okay, This is the best thing anybody could ever ask. It's the number one question any human could ever ask any other human. It's the greatest. Okay, The gospel just means good news. And there's all kinds of misconceptions about the gospel. What it is, is it Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? A lot of people think of those things when they think of the gospel. Um, we would tell you that the gospel is the crux of Christianity. That it is the news on which everything in world history hangs. It is the true story of the whole world. Okay, so if, if you've wondered what Christianity is all about, or if you've been a Christian since you were four, I want you to just be wild again by this news. Um, the gospel is this news of the one true God. Okay? And friends, the one true God who's existed eternally in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He made everything. And when He made it, He made it perfectly. He made it beautifully. He made it gloriously. He made it all to reflect Him. So hit pause. Think about the thing you love most. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a place. Maybe it's a moment. Maybe it's a sunset. Maybe it's mountains. Maybe it's river. That was God's idea. The God of all pleasure made that to point back to Him. And the pinnacle of His creation is mankind. Man and woman created in the image of God. But the first man and woman rebelled against God. They were in God's perfect creation with God and they rebelled against God. And when they did, everything fractured and screwed up. Their relationship with God, broken. Their relationship with each other, broken. Their relationship with themselves, broken. Their relationship to creation, broken. Chaos. Alienation. What a horrific thing to be alienated from the good, beautiful, pleasure-giving, satisfying Creator. It's the worst news in world history. And what makes this news so bad is not just that it sucks for us. Let me tell you one reason why it sucks so much for us. is because in rebelling against Him, we have merited His judgment. Right? Of course if He's a good God, He hates evil. Of course, if he's a just God, he punishes evil. Of course, if he's a holy God, he cannot tolerate it. So our first parents, Adam and Eve, and all who have descended from them have inherited this sinful nature, and their relationship with God is broken. That's why if you're here and you haven't been welcomed home yet, you feel this void in your heart. It's because you're not in union, like Mal said, with the one true God. And it's why you look around and there's relational chaos everywhere we look. And it's why sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're in a bad mood and you don't even know why. Sin has entered the world. And God will judge sin. Sin can't exist in God's perfect order. Not with a glorious, perfect God. But friends, let me tell you about this God. Okay? Oh my God, this is so... Y'all, this is too good to be true, only it's true. This is real, okay? Crap. This is awesome. And I want you to be affected by this every day for the rest of your life. This God who is so glorious and so beautiful and so holy and so righteous and so frightening that we cannot even look at Him. He's so holy and beautiful. He loves you. 
I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why he loves me. There's nothing in me that would merit his love. Nothing. I am selfish. I am selfish. You guys, I have a beautiful wife and two beautiful kids. And I neglect them so I can watch football. That's what's in my heart. I lie to promote myself so that people think I look good. That's what's in my heart. Why would God love me? I'm filthy. Ninth grade to sophomore year in college, addicted to pornography. Enslaved to it, but loving it the whole time. Pervert. Guilty. Why would he love me? I've only corrupted his good creation. It's all I've contributed. Let me tell you about what he did. Let me tell you about grace so glorious. Okay, This God looked down on people like me. People like you, I'm sure you're not as sinful as I am, but I'm sure you have your own struggles. And he said, I want them. I want them to know me. I want them to enjoy me. They are missing out on satisfaction. And so here's what he did. He sent his own son to be our representative. And so God the Son became a human being, and he lived the perfect life, the only righteous life ever, the only sinless life ever, the only life in union with God ever. Righteousness. He he lived it. But then 30 AD, one Friday afternoon in April, human history, there's more documentation for his life than there is for Julius Caesar, who lived in the same time period. Okay, real guy, Jesus of Nazareth. Read about him. They nail him to a Roman cross and murder him. He had never done anything wrong. Never. He had only ever loved God. He had only ever loved people. But let me tell you what was happening for him. You and I deserved a punishment. We deserved a punishment for our sin. We deserved a punishment for our rebellion against God. Of course we do. Of course we do. If we're honest, of course we do. We can't deny that. But God said, I'll take it on myself. And so Jesus Christ bears the full wrath of God. God punishes Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus bears all the sins. So all my sin, all my perversion, all my grossness, all your sin, all your shame, all those things you would never want anybody to know, they were put onto Jesus. And Jesus bore them for you. And so God punished his own son. You know what Jesus said as he's dying? He says, it's finished. Sin has been paid for. And then he died. And sin went with him into the grave. And then three days later, human history can't disprove it. I would love for anybody to try to disprove the resurrection. Three days later, he came back from the dead. Alive. And he comes back offering this. Anybody who will believe in me, sins forgiven, counted righteous, come back into a relationship with God, find the joy and the satisfaction and the meaning and the harmony that you were created for. And then he puts the ball in everybody's court. And tonight, if you have never trusted him, he's putting the ball in your court. And here's what you got to do. you got to own my sin has merited his judgment. Of course I deserve that. But I see the God who loves me. I see the God who is beautiful. I see the God who is offering exactly what I want and need, which is ultimately himself. And I'm not trusting in myself anymore. I'm not trusting in my good deeds anymore. I'm not trusting in being a good person or a good student or whatever else anymore. I'm trusting what Jesus has done. And when you do that, friend, God forgives your sins. God gives you his Holy Spirit. Um, He brings you into a life that is so full of satisfaction like Mal talked about. That's the gospel. Praise God, Bo. Praise God. I mean, (laughs) that's awesome. And I'm glad you say amen because I want to say amen.
I hope if you've never understood that, that warms your heart tonight and you put your faith in King Jesus. So, back to verse 12. What has happened to Paul has served to advance that message so that this message is spreading all over the Roman Empire. Okay, spread like wildfire. Just take it. Okay, now here's what we've got to ask now. What has happened to Paul that is causing this good news to advance? That's resulting in all his joy. What has happened to him that is causing his joy? So, when we look at verse 13, we, we see that he's imprisoned. Okay, so he's in prison in Rome as he's writing this. And he's talking about being very, very joyful. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, this rattles our uh, Western paradigm a little bit. How do you be in prison and joyful? Because I've always thought that joyful meant this really hot husband and a white picket fence and a dog and a couple kids, right? We think that way. Well, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. What has happened to me? I'm in prison right now, and what has happened to me has advanced the gospel, and so I'm so freaking pumped, you can't even keep it bottled in. So let me tell you what's happened to him. And if we go to Acts chapter 21 through 28, you don't have to turn there, but let me just give you a very quick run through. Okay, this is what Paul's last four years have looked like. Anybody a senior? Seniors in here? Couple. Nice. Timid for seniors, guys. It's okay. You can raise it up. You know, be loud and proud. Come on. All right. So let, let me tell you about Paul's last four years, okay? 58 A.D., Paul leaves Turkey, Greece. He's planting churches all over. He loves the Jewish people. He had raised some money for people who were struggling in Jerusalem. So he goes back to Jerusalem to take him some money. When he gets there, the Jews in Jerusalem hated Paul. They thought he was this cult leader. They thought he was anti-Jewish, and so they start rioting. Not only do they start rioting, there's about 40 guys who say, we're taking this oath, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill this guy. So the Roman guard gets him, they put him in a Roman prison, get wind of this plan, they move him up to Caesarea, he's in jail for two years there. Okay, All kinds of trials, Jewish people still trying to, you know, really trying to kill him. So he appeals to Caesar, finally after a couple years, gets on a ship. Starts sailing to Rome to be in prison in Rome until Caesar can hear his case. And the shipwrecks. Goes two weeks without food, bitten by poisonous snakes. Horrific time. Finally, after a number of months, he ends up in Rome. It's where he is right now. He's chained to a guard in prison. It's where he's been the last two years. Listen to what he's saying. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so I'm rejoicing. Are you kidding? I'm not sure what your plans for your life are, but I wouldn't draw mine up this way. If I'm, if I'm trying to draw up the life of joy, this is not what I come up with. But let me tell you what, what God did to advance the gospel. Paul's going to give us three, three things in Philippians. But I'm just going to do some things leading up here, too. While the Jews are rioting, he gets to share the gospel with the whole mob. While the Roman guard takes him in, he shares the gospel with the Roman commander. When they send him up to Caesarea, he shares the gospel with the Roman governor. Okay? Then this Roman governor, Festus, Acts 24 tells us, was so intrigued by Paul that he called, from him, called for him regularly to talk to him often. So you got this governor over the whole province, and he's just wanting to talk to this prisoner, Paul, about Jesus. Okay? Then, transferring government, another guy, Festus, comes in. Paul shares the gospel with him. He wants King Agrippa to come in and hear. So King Agrippa and his wife Bernice come down, and Paul shares the gospel with them, just like I've just done with you. This is what Paul's telling these guys. Then they send him on the ship. The ship wrecks, shares the gospel with all 276 people on the boat. Then they get on this island, Malta, where they're shipwrecked, and he's bit by a snake. They think he's this murderer. He's going to die. Well, nothing happens to him. So then they start asking him. So he goes and he heals the father-in-law of the chief. That guy he is healed. Then other people start coming to him, shares the gospel with the whole island. Then they get him to Rome. They chain him up. And he's chained to these guards, and he starts sharing the gospel with the guards, which is what we see in verse 13. So look at verse 13. I know I'm going long, but I'm pumped tonight, guys. Um, here is how the gospel advances in the middle of his imprisonment. Verse 13. He says, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for, is for Christ. So here's the idea. Every four hours, a new guard is chained to Paul. 
And word is spreading among these kind of upper-level soldiers in Caesar's palace that he's in there for his faith. And so discussions start coming up. And you know Paul's going to leverage that. So he starts talking to these guards day after day after day, sharing the good news about Jesus with them. So that flip over one page to chapter 4. Let me show you something. Chapter 4, verse 22. When Paul is closing out this letter, look at what he says. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Basically what he's saying is, hey, all these guards are believing. A bunch of these guards are believing. And so here's the idea. Roman soldiers are turning from idols to worship the one true God because Paul has been imprisoned. So Paul is rejoicing. He'll say, I'll take it. So that's the first way. These unbelievers are coming to faith in Christ. The second way is this. Through his imprisonment, the believers are becoming bold. Okay, verse 14. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here's what happened. These believers in Rome, they observed Paul's life while he's in prison, and they saw God's blessing on his life. They saw God's faithfulness to him. They saw the fruit that was being born. And so they were emboldened to go and share the gospel in the marketplace. And let me encourage you guys with this real quick. 62 AD Rome. You think it was acceptable to be a Christian? Thoughts? Think they were maybe misunderstood a little bit? Right? A lot. They're being persecuted. They were risking their lives. Um, our context looks like cakewalk compared to the Roman Empire 62 AD. But these people see Paul. They see his boldness. They see his joy. They see his satisfaction. And so they say, I'll go share Christ. And so Paul is pumped because now he's not the only one spreading the message. Now there's chatter everywhere about this Jesus and more and more believing to the glory of God. So that's another reason why he's rejoicing. And then last, verses 15 through 18, interesting stuff right here. Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So here's what was going on there. Um, some people in Rome, in Paul's imprisonment, were motivated to go preach the gospel with bad motive. Okay? From a place of envy, from a place of rivalry, from a place of selfish ambition, from a place of self-exaltation. They want to make much of themselves. They want to keep Paul down. And, and here's, there, there's speculation about this. Um, we're short on time. I'm not going to go into the speculation. If you want to know about the speculation, if that interests you, we can talk later. There's probably one of you and you're a nerd. Um, <laughs> here's what I think happened. Paul didn't plant this church. Okay? And so there were Christians here before Paul was here. And what happens, because human beings are very, very sinful, and I just confess this to you guys as a sinful man in your presence. For people who are uh, in ministry, it's so easy for your identity to get caught up in what you're doing. It's so easy for you to attach your worth to your ministry. And so when Paul comes in town, Paul, 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 Paul. Have you heard about what Paul said? What have you heard about what Paul did? And there's these other guys who are kicked to the curb, right, who don't mean anything anymore. And for them, to that point, Christianity had been a way for them to exalt themselves. Oh, man, he's a good preacher. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. But when Paul comes in town, that's gone. So now these guys with Paul in prison are saying, man, I'm going to use this now as an opportunity to exalt myself again or to keep Paul down. But notice what Paul says. Paul says, I know they got wrong motives. I don't care if they have wrong motives. Christ is being proclaimed. And friends, when Christ is proclaimed, when the message of the gospel is communicated, it's got power. And when you believe that message, whether it comes from a place of uh, a humble delivery or not, when that message is believed, God comes into your life with the Spirit of God. He makes you new. 
And so Paul's saying, I don't care if it's false motives or good motives. Christ is being preached, and so I'm, I'm rejoicing. Um, and, and let me, again, hit pause. I'm hitting pause a lot tonight. Uh, we don't have a real fluid <laughs> delivery going. A lot of pauses. Um, if you've been a Christian for a while, just like Mal talked about, she, she went through this stage where she got arrogant, right? She thought, started thinking of herself as more highly than she ought to think, okay? This is easy to happen in the Christian faith, especially, guys, when you start growing as a Christian. It's easy to start thinking you're important. It's easy to start thinking you know a lot, right? Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. So beware of using Christianity for self-exaltation. Just beware of using it for self-promotion. Warning. I'm guilty of it. A brother to brothers and sisters, beware. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about joy tonight. And here's what we're seeing. In the middle of horrible circumstances, horrible circumstances, horrible circumstances, Paul is rejoicing because the gospel is advancing. And he is showing to us that the life of guaranteed satisfaction, the life of most satisfaction, is a life that we live to advance the gospel. Now, I want to tell you five reasons why. And, and let me start by saying this. Raise your hand if you've ever kind of engaged with Christianity out of obligation. Right, gosh, this sucks. Um, if it's kind of ever been about rules for you, anybody? Moralism? Okay. I hope that you will see the exact opposite tonight. I hope that your heart will be enthralled. Right? And let me pick on you for a minute. Can I pick on you for a minute? Matt Moore's my boy. Matt Moore's trying to convince y'all to go to Nicaragua, and he's joking, and he's saying things like they got good food, and it's fun. That's peanuts. Good food and fun there's something way more pleasurable than that, you guys. There's something that's a lot better than a good party or sex with a hot girl. There's something a lot more pleasurable out there. A lot. And what I want to tell you is how you can maximize pleasure in your life. So I want you to see how you can find joy forever. So five reasons that the life of gospel advancement is the most satisfying life. The first reason is this. When we live a life that advances the gospel, we get to see God's glory. Okay, we get to see God's glory. Now let me, let me illustrate this to help, help you explain. Um, I love watching people do things who are experts at what they do. So maybe... <laughs> Those of you who know me know I'm like the lamest guy. Okay, I care about like two things um, apart from my family, the Bible and sports. Those are like the only things I care about. Not a lot of depth for me at all. So, but I know some of you guys probably like so appreciate a great artist or an expert musician, like some virtuoso or something. And if you don't know that term, Tim, just holler at me later. Um, but isn't it amazing? Do I ever get, just get lost in appreciating somebody who's just excellent at something? Okay, this happens to me when I watch Peyton Manning play football. Those of you who go, who go to SCAD, Pey Peyton Manning's an American football player. Just <laughs> 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 kidding. Um, anyway, Peyton Manning just picks apart defenses. He picks them apart. And he's old and he just cannot move at all, but he's so smart. And he picks apart defenses. And when you watch him, you see this just glimpse of his glory in a way. Like, you're just looking at Peyton, and you're like, dude, that is awesome. And you start to enjoy it. Y'all probably have that with things that are much, much more cultured than American football. Um, now, when we look to the Bible, okay, or when we look to creation, I, I was driving today, okay, I was driving today and I was thinking about the gospel and tears are coming down my face and the sun is setting over off Bluff Drive and or I'm, I'm turning back and I see the sun setting and I'm, I'm like, God, 
you just get a glimpse of God's expertness. You know, he knows what he's doing. Okay, when you live a life of gospel advancement, when you see somebody, my friend, brought out of darkness and into light, when you see somebody get it, understand the gospel, that they deserve sin, but that Jesus became sin for them and died for them so that they might get his righteousness. When you see that transaction take place in a person's life, in a person's heart, you get to see a glimpse of God's glory. And friend, you were made to see it. You were made to see it. Okay, now, let me take it a step further. Not only does watching an expert bring you joy, but watching somebody that you love brings you great joy. So my little girl, Julia, she's into ballet right now. She, she's doing ballet, ballet school Wednesday afternoons, okay? I love watching her do ballet. But I'm going to stick with football for the sake of the illustration. My brother John, my younger brother John, played football at NC State, okay? He was uh, fullback at NC State, had, went through a lot of very difficult things. Um, and I remember in 2005, you guys, when he runs out of the tunnel to play his first Wolfpack football game. And I look down there, and I see number 37 running out. And I know how hard he's worked, and I know what it's meant to him. And tears just start coming down my face, and I'm hugging my dad, and I'm hugging my mom, and we're just enjoying him. We're seeing him. Now, when you live the life of gospel advancement, here's what happens. Not only do you see God do his expert work of saving people, but as you look at him, you're also seeing the one that you've come to love the most doing it. Right? It's not like Peyton Manning. I don't know Peyton Manning. But I've come to know God. I've come to know Jesus. He has saved me. And when you see him work, when you see his glory, it brings you just great joy. It's the most satisfaction there is. So that's reason one. You see his glory. Number two, second reason we should live a life of gospel advancement. We get to experience God's power. Okay, let me, let me explain this. Joy is incomplete if you don't get to get in on it. Okay, say that one more time. Joy is incomplete if you don't get to get in on it. So, at ballet, we go and watch Julia and Eliza, my one-and-a-half-year-old, almost two, she sits there watching the ballerina sucking her thumb. But as soon as we get home, you know what she wants to do? <laughs> she wants to be in on it. Okay? Guys, when you live a life of gospel advancement, you don't just get to see God work. You get to get in on it. There's not much better than seeing the grace of God enter into a person's life. But you know what one thing that's better is? God using you to be the channel of that grace. God working through you to tell the good news about Jesus. When, when they get it and they're broken and happy all at the same time. Y'all know how it is. And you just hug them and you felt God's power work through you. That's awesome. I mean, guys, college students, I know y'all are all about experiences. Y'all are planning your spring breaks and your summers and your school abroad. You want cool experiences. There is not a cooler experience than that. There just isn't. It's more satisfying. It wins. Okay, so that's reason two. Reason three. Life of gospel advancement is the best life, most satisfying life, because with it, we get to enjoy God's blessing. Mal talked about how obeying God is the most satisfying thing there is. Isn't that weird? How many for you, at some point in your life, has your thought of obeying God been absolutely dreadful? Hands, be honest. Be real. Okay, good. Thanks. I like it. Good job, Earl. Nice job. <laughs> That's funny, because Brad's wearing an Earl sweatshirt sweatshirt. Um, that's an inside joke. Ask him later. <laughs> Gosh. Now jokes about me not being funny are going to quickly come out of my mouth. Um, okay. 
There is a special kind of blessing that comes when you obey God. Isn't it funny that we've lived our lives trying to obey God and it seemed dreadful? It seemed like a killjoy. I'm now going to tell you that obeying God is actually the most satisfying thing that you could ever do. But it's obedience from the right motive, not for the wrong motive. So let me illustrate it this way. Think about a time where you completed a task, an important task that you were told to do. So maybe it was your parents asked you to do it, or it was an assignment for school, whatever. A task that was very, very important, and you completed it, and you completed it well. When you laid your head on the pillow at night, what was your feeling? It's a good feeling. There's just satisfaction there. Right? It's not rah-rah, you know, touchdown satisfaction. It's, it's good. Okay. James chapter 1, verse 25 says this. But whoever looks into the perfect law, to the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Blessed can be translated happy. He'll be happy in his doing. When we obey God, there's a joy that comes with it. Okay, let me illustrate one more time. Who went to Nicaragua last year? Who's ever been on a mission trip? Who's ever spent a day of just raw service for other people? Most people? Okay. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, how do you feel? Great. I mean, it's great. It's better than if you went to your favorite restaurant with some of your best friends, or at least rivals it. It's awesome. Okay? And when Jesus is about to go up to heaven, he says, go make disciples. Go advance the gospel. And what I'm telling you is this. If you will take that command seriously, if you will obey that command to be a gospel advancer, there will be a blessing that comes on your life. There will be a satisfaction that comes on your life. Okay, I'm not going to put, I am going to put you on the spot, Reed. A couple days ago, one of Reed's buddies calls Reed up. Not, not doing so well, goes over to Reed's house, and um, just world is kind of up in the air. Reed's able to share the gospel with this guy, and he puts his faith in Jesus. Okay, it's, Reed will tell you, it's the power of the Spirit of God. It's not Reed. And he calls me, 5.47 p.m. Dude, we got a new brother! We got a new brother! Okay, and let me tell you what I do. I go to my family, and I say, y'all, daddy's friend, he put his faith in Jesus, yes! And we, we cheer louder than that, and for longer than that. You know why? Because I want to be more excited about Jesus than I am about football. And we put on worship music, and we dance, and we sing for an hour. Why do I say that? Reed, how joyful have you been the last three days? <laughs> Pretty joyful. There is joy that comes from a bank. Great joy. Okay? Um, and the best part about it, y'all, is when you obey and when you step out, you see more glory, which brings more satisfaction, and you experience more of God's glory, which brings more satisfaction. Right? It's just how God's designed it. Genius. Okay, two more things. I know we're going long. I'm probably setting a record for longness. Um, all right. <laughs> Life of God. <laughs> now I'm sounding like Brooks. Yeah. Moving on. Um, that's funny. If y'all were paying attention to your announcements, but nobody was. Um, oh, okay. Fourth reason. Fourth reason that the life of gospel advancement is the most satisfying life. You ready? This is going to be exciting. Because you get to share joy with other people. Okay, let me read a C.S. Lewis quote. I hope this pumps you up. It gets me so excited. Think about this. It's very cool. C.S. Lewis says this. Much smarter man than me. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, unless shyness or fear of boring others is deliberately brought into check. The world rings with praise. Lovers pra praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of the weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I noticed that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, 
so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that was magnificent? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Isn't that so true? The joy is only completed when it's shared. Guys, and this is never true then when it comes to your relationship with God. When you start to see him for who he is, when you start to see his beauty and his glory and his awesomeness and his love for idiots like us and how great he is, and then you tell somebody about that, and they see it too, that is awesome. It's like telling your best buddy about your favorite restaurant, and then they go with you, and then they're more excited about it than you are. And then you're both pumped, okay? <laughs> That's how it works. That's what the Christian life is about. That's why the, the life of gospel advancement is the most satisfying life. You get to share it, right? You don't ever enjoy it alone. Okay, and then last reason. Life of gospel advancement is the most satisfying life because it is the life of ultimate purpose. It is the life of ultimate purpose. Who wants to know what... Uh, let me backtrack. Bad, bad grammar. Um, who is concerned with their future? Okay. Transitional time period. Wondering what's next. Right? Who wants to have purpose in what they do? Right? We want there to be purpose. Who wants there to be adventure in what you do? Okay, great. Good, me too. Here's what I would argue. There is clearly no greater purpose, and there is clearly no greater adventure than the life of gospel advancement. Nothing touches it. Nothing touches it. We're talking about the glory of God. We're talking about eternal souls. We're talking about them transferring to, from darkness to light. We're talking about heaven and hell. There is no greater purpose than gospel advancement. None. And there is no greater adventure than being on that journey with somebody or giving your life to that cause. There's nothing that touches it. It makes a million dollars look like monopoly money. It, it makes the most exotic adventure look like my backyard, which is so lame. <laughs> if you guys would come over. Um, there is joy in gospel advancement. Even if it means suffering right now. Even if it means sacrifice right now. And friend, it will mean sacrifice right now. It will mean suffering right now. In fact, I am asking you tonight, would you just lose your life for the sake of the gospel? Would you do it? Would you welcome hardship and suffering? Would you say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm in. What I would tell you is if you did that, you are saying, yeah, you're saying yes to those things, but you're also saying yes to a joy that will begin to dominate them, to a joy that will make those things look small, just like it was for Paul. He had been through hell for the last four years, but he's, he's rejoicing. And friends, ultimately, here's why I would have you give your life to this. One day in your future, you will stand before the one true God. You will stand before him. You will give an account for the life that you've lived. That is real. That is coming. And imagine the joy. Imagine the joy if you gave your life to the advancement of the gospel and your father, your savior, who is welcoming you home, looks at you in the eyes with a love that Hollywood can't touch and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the joy of your master. How cool would that be?
That's serious joy, and that's what's, that's worth living for. So, five reasons. See God's glory, experience God's power, enjoy his blessing, get to share his joy with others, and then last, you live for the ultimate purpose. Um, three ways to respond. I'm going to close. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I really want you to. But I, what I'll say is you're just plain missing out if you don't. Everything you're looking for is found in the God who made you. It's in him. And he has made a way in his great love to win you back. And he has put a worth and a value on you that is infinite because he shed his own blood for you. That's how much he wants you. That's how much he wants to have you as a son or daughter. And so if you're here tonight and you hadn't been welcomed home to him, you hadn't put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, please come find me or Mal. Let's talk. All you got to do is believe. You quit trusting your stuff. You start trusting him. So you don't even really need to talk to us. But we'd love to talk to you about it because we'd love to share your joy. And your joy will be incomplete until you share it. So that's the first. <laughs> um, second is this. Some of you guys, y'all need to rethink. Um, you need to rethink about your life right now. You need to rethink about where your life's going. No doubt, lots of you guys have big plans, just like Mal did. You got plans for maybe it's the big city or some great job or, you know, whatever it is. You know what your plans are. Your plans might not need to change. They might not. But if the, your plans are all about you, and your plans are not about advancing the gospel where you're going, okay? We need gospel advancers in the marketplace. We need them in the art world. We need them in the fashion world. We need them in the business world. We need them everywhere, okay? But wherever you go, you might need to rethink why you're going. And the reason you're going as a Christian is to be an advancer of the gospel, to be one who proclaims Christ so that others might come to know how wonderful and excellent he is and to share in our joy. So some of y'all need to rethink. And then last, some of you guys need to reroute. Some of you guys might need to reroute. Here's what I mean by that. You have this plan for your life and what it's going to be, where you're going to go, and you're missing out if you don't let God redirect you. You're missing out on what's best. You're choosing a lesser pleasure. You're choosing a weak pleasure. You're eating a hot dog when there's a filet mignon, right? Veggie straws when there's loaded baked potato. My kids eat veggie straws. They're sick. Um, some of you guys might need to let God reroute you, okay? Um, maybe that's changing majors. Maybe that's changing schools. Maybe that's saying, God, my plans, I'm giving them to you. Maybe that's saying, man, I would make so much more money doing that, but God might be calling me to do his work for my job. Maybe that means saying, there are two billion people with no access to the gospel. I'm going to give up my life to go to them so that they might know King Jesus so that one day his song might be louder. Some of y'all need to be rerouted. So, Put your life before him tonight, and here's what I'll promise. Guys, if you'll follow him, as somebody who's been completely rerouted, God will lead you to a life of satisfaction. And he's proved that he will at the cross, has he not? If he would, if he would die for you, would he not give you his best? Of course he would. So the life of gospel advances, life of satisfaction. I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, this has gone long. I pray that the truth from your word would stick. Oh God, and I pray that your beauty